Uh, you know, I uh, I sort of use, we have to use shorthand sometimes on radio and television, as well as in newspapers and magazines, headlines in a way, to tell people the subject we're going to be talking about. And I use the subject uh, in explaining you being here, Dr. Hewitt, tonight, and I said something. He's going to help us to learn how to like those we love. And when I told you I'd been using that, you sort of look like... Well, I'm not sure that's accurate. But isn't it not possible to love someone and not like them? And isn't it someone? Isn't it possible to like someone and not love them? I would agree with that second part of the statement, the fact that it is possible, and I agree with that. I think my qualification would be that somehow there is a magic way to like everybody. One of our things that I'm concerned about in our culture is the obsession with being liked by everybody or somehow being able to love with everyone. There's a statement that I use sometimes with my clients who are obsessed, and they do unhealthy things in order to buy this love and affection from other people. Can you give us an example of what you mean? Without using names, obviously, but can you give us an example of what you're talking about? Someone who will do what another person says is best for them without thinking it through and making a decision for themselves. Oh, let someone lead them, in other words. Yes. I want you to do this, and in your heart you know it's wrong, but because you like them, you're going to do it for them. That kind of thing. Or I will do certain things in order to buy affection. In other words, some people will be an irritant just in order to get attention. If they don't irritate you, then they won't get attention. Mm, Interesting. Now, you specialize, I believe I'm right in this, in what we call family practice, right? Correct. What does that encompass? Does that mean just family, or do you talk to people in their workplaces, people who are going to college or or high school or whatever who are having problems? you help those folks too? Well, to me, there are lots of different definitions of family, and this is one of those characteristics that I would say family practice to me is basically human practice. Mm -hmm. People who are working together in a variety of situations and settings. It can be children and parents and marital dysfunctions, and it can be, say, a business family or an institutional family. In other words, we do consultations with business people who actually do have a family. People who have friends, because the friends are basically build your own kind of family. Doctor, help me understand something that's always been a puzzlement to me, and I suppose most people are like me, if not all people. But I have a habit sometimes of making instant diagnosis of people I meet. In other words, I'll say, mm, I'm going to like this person, or mm, I don't think I'm going to like this person. It's probably grossly unfair to that person and probably grossly unfair to me. But do a lot of people do that sort of thing, the first impression sort of attitude? Well, it's kind of like an automatic pilot. We meet hundreds and hundreds of people in many of our lives, mm-hmm. and we need something as an attractor, something that will attract you toward them. It can be the way they look, it can be the way they talk, it can be something they say, it can be their clothing, it can be from where they live, it can be any number of things. And the converse is true? You can not like them for the same sort of things? Right. You may not like them because of their height, you may not like them because of their race, you may not like them because of the fact that they're driving a Mercedes, you may dislike them for any number of reasons. But people do set these as kind of like a screening you meet someone and you get a feel. It's kind of like when you shake hands with somebody. Sure. I like somebody who looks at me when they shake. <laughs> and a firm handshake. Right. Yeah. In other words, I'm a visual person. I look at someone when I talk to them. To other people, my looking at them is perceived as trespassing. I've decided I pretty much have to decide where am I going to be and what's going to be important to me. Well, now, is it right or is it wrong to make those judgments, or is it neither and both? In other words, is it just is human nature that we make instant analysis of people? I believe there's a difference between your thought and your feeling. I can feel a certain way when I meet someone, but I also have a mind that allows me to counterbalance that and say, now, do I want to go just with my gut, 
or do I want to incorporate some thinking knowing that not everyone who behaves this way is this way? But I'll bet you a lot of people, if not a great number of people, majority of people listening now who work outside the home, have at least one person in their work atmosphere that they just don't like. They can't get along with them, and I'm sure that happens more than it doesn't. What advice generally would you have to someone who works in a situation and there's another person there who just grates on their nerves and gets under their skin? What can you do about that? Well, the thing I encourage more than anything else is to recognize the difference between one's feelings and one's behavior. Just because you feel like you want to strangle this person <laughs> does not mean you have to follow through and act on it. I hope not, no. And it is important because particularly if the guy's the one signing the check. Mm-hmm. And yet, <laughs> you know, these are important things to differentiate. Sure. And yet, to deny that you have those feelings, I work with lots of people who have just isolated their feelings of anger or of hurt or distaste for someone. And they won't acknowledge it. They're trying to be happy and cheerful and kind of like some of these positive mind psych books that say, just block it all out and just be happy. You don't think that's a good idea? I have my doubts about it because, for one thing, it's a one sequence fits everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the things I believe Pop is Pop psychology. Yes. And there's a lot of good in it. But so often, a lot of these are written as though one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Well, not everybody wears a size 40 suit. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Mm-hmm. And different people need different needs. Well, again, what do you do now? In other words, you've got to work in this place. You've got to work with that person. Do you go to them and say, look, Charlie, or look, Ann, I'm having problems getting along with you. Let's sit down and talk it over. Or do you just ignore them? Do you slip something in their coffee? What do you do? Well, one of the things I very believe very strongly, Henry, is that there's nothing in life that's free. You know, you pay a price. The question is, what kind of price are you going to pay if you confront the person? What kind of price are you going to say if you do nothing? What kind of price are you going to pay if you try to get some colleagues to come together? Everything has a price. And because of that, it's trying to say, how can I decide what price I'm willing to pay for this situation? This is an unpleasant person. Okay, and at least real. to me, it's unclear and pleasant. That's right. Yeah. And that's the only way I can do it. I can't see that person through your eyes. I can only see it through my eyes. But again, what do you do? Do you confront them? Do you, do you try to make friends with them? Do you go out of your way to be nice to them? Or do you just say, they're out of my life. I'm not going to fool with them. Okay. But that would be like very much, I'm talking about currency that may be emotional currency, social currency, career currency, would be just like me trying to tell you, Henry, how to take your $50 that, say, I would give you, how do you spend it? You may want to go out and spend it on something to eat. You may want to invest it into a record set. You may want to go buy a new coat. You have a choice. And what I'm saying is that when you face any kind of situation, it's what kind of price are you willing to pay? Because everything has a price. Special guest is a, a psychologist giving us some the benefit of his knowledge. His name is James Huey. Hi, caller. Well, listen, uh, the question that you just asked, I think if we've got love in our heart, soul, body, and mind, regardless of what an individual do or say, you still can love that person, but you don't have to love their way. I think that's what I think. Well, and I appreciate that. I certainly see a lot of value in being able to differentiate the person from their behavior. Exactly. That's all I've got to say, but I just wanted to say that because God is love. But, dear, nobody gets under your skin. Nobody in the world makes you feel kind of like you just don't care for them. No, it really doesn't. I feel sorry for them. Now, a lot of things that people may say or do, 
I know it's not right, but it doesn't make me angry. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. That's from my heart. (laughs) That's a good place for it to come from. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I've heard that all my life, that you can like somebody or even love them, but not like their ways. And to be honest with you, I have never believed that. Now, maybe that's my problem and not theirs. But do you really believe you can love somebody and not love the things they do or the attitudes they have or the things they say? I believe some people can make that choice and do behave and feel that way, just as I believe there are people who do not. This caller obviously believes it because you could tell she believed it. And I really believe there are people who do. It's telling a difference between what you choose, how you decide you're going to approach. There are going to be irritating people in the world until the day you and I pass on. Sure. But we decide how we're going to react to them. It's kind of like the person who says an angry word to you. Well, you have a choice. You could deny it. You can block it out. You can say an angry word back to them. You can decide to say, hey, they're upset. They're having a difficult day. You can do any number of choices. The caller is one individual who makes and chooses to see it through the love in her heart. Mm -hmm. That's how she chooses Mm -hmm. to see it. Mm -hmm. Another person can choose it another way. We make choices. I was alluding to the price earlier, but we pay a price for every choice we make. You're not talking about dollars or cents now. You're talking about the choice of your decisions. Right. If I do this, here's the price I may pay. Am I willing to do that? And if I lose my job, it may be dollars. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It may be, but Uh, it's a whole variety. Dr. Huey, I have some more callers coming in. We'll get to them shortly. But what advice would you have for a husband and a wife when the husband must work late and long hours and does not see enough of his wife and children for their sake or for his sake, and they're often home alone at night until late in the night when he gets home? What advice would you have for the working man, and what advice would you have for the mother and the children? First thing I would say, do the husband and wife both agree that he must work? We make an assumption he must work. I would question that. Because I believe that they could make other choices. Now, they're not willing to pay the price. In other words, they may want the salary. They may want the the prestige. Then they have to make some kind of accommodation in paying a price for them working. Do they want to work? And do they want to pay the price for it, him working? So that's the first decision they've got to come to? I can't decide for you that the price is too high. Mm-hmm. I can't decide whether it's socially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, anything else. I can't decide that price. My role is to help you work through what are the prices being demanded and what are your resources are you willing to pay and what are you able to pay. Quickly respond to this if you can. The quality time we hear so much now, kind of a catchphrase from psychologists and psychiatrists, quality time. That means what to you? More than anything else, it's the ability to really listen and hear each other. One of the things I'm convinced is that our society is very short of people who really listen, people who are willing to take the time to understand what is being said. Our society is a talking society. We talk and we compete to talk. And I find over and over again, quality time is like... Just get on a staccato kind of beat and trying to get my point across. Why can't you be more like me kind of attitudes? Uh 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 So communication, sending and receiving. Sending and receiving. But listening being the key. Caller, you're on the air with Dr. Huey. Go ahead, please. Hi. Hi there. I guess I am the personality that gets on people's nerves because everybody takes it upon themselves to point out my fallibilities. And I'm in a work situation where... The woman came in. She's been there two years. I've been on the job over ten, and she proceeded to straighten me out. And I practiced what Dr. Huey has said was to listen to what they have and respond 
in a kinder, gentler way. Mm -hmm. But finally, I had all I could stand, and I shot back at her. And now I'm finding that I'm paying the so-called price because she'll go to the bosses and say, I'm more comfortable doing this kind of work, and then I'll get the kind that she doesn't want to do. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you have for, like I said, I'm the one that gets on people's nerves, so First I'm sort of at a sh short end of the straw. Carla, let me, hold on, let me interrupt you a second. Henry here. Doctor, is she, and, and you're only hearing her for a few minutes, and it's unfair, but is she kind of like a victim in this case? In other words, are there people who are victimized and taken advantage of by other people in the world? Oh, yes. I mean, it happens all the time. The question is, how do you handle being a victim? Yeah. Do you play the role and become a, what we call a professional victim? Mm -hmm. In other words, keep seeking out situations for people to victimize you? Or does she decide to pay a price and be, develop some assertive skill? She stood up on her hind heels. She did, and she paid a price for that. Yeah. And the question is, did she pay too high a price when psychology... Oh, self-respect is intact. See? And that's more important to you than some other price. Right. And that's I what mean, I'm saying. I you, so in this case, she did what was right for her. Right. That's one of the biggest obstacles of these so-called books of how to do everything. Mm -hmm. Because this caller is having to say, self-respect is most important for me. My honor, my image is very crucial. I feel clean after having told this lady off. But she also pays a price for that. Right. And if you had not done it, if you had gone ahead and not been spoken up, you would have been paying another price. And in your case, you're saying a higher price. Right. I'm saying you did what's right. I feel that I did. <laughs> now, <laughs> how do I deal with her conniving? Yeah, with her coming across with, I'm more comfortable doing this work, and she's patronizing me. I know what I'm going to do on the patronization. I'm going to confront it. Well, that's, and, see, that's but, what you've um, already decided you're going to do. Now, you know you're going to pay a price for confronting her, it's correct? It's going to be a very noisy place for a while, yes. or a very quiet one, whichever she chooses it to be. Okay, and you will choose how you respond to her noise or her silence. Well, I've ignored her. And that's one of your choices. Is she a superior to you in any way? I mean, I'm talking about now at a oh, business no. level. I'm, I'm the senior Oh. in the area. Uh-huh. And it's how I display myself. Mm -hmm. I'm good at my work, but I'm not a snot about it. Again. Yeah, yeah, you don't show off about it. Yeah. Well, maybe you ought to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you ought to go to your superior and say, there must be some misunderstanding, Miss Jones or Mr. Jones or whatever. Agnes is saying this, and it's really not sure true. She misunderstood me. Here's the real story. Well, she called me into a room, closed the door, and proceeded to give me a 15-minute lecture. And then she started out that she prayed for me, and by the time she finished, she was shaking, and her voice was trembling. I didn't fight. I didn't argue. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say anything. I just looked at it. Dr. Hughes telling you in his own quiet sort of way, you know what to do and you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, then do it. Okay, thanks for calling. Well, and, that, and that is a very basic principle of human behavior. Most people are going to do what they decide they're going to do. And regardless they, of how and many they want somebody to say yes or no. They want somebody to come in and be an ally and give it an approval. Yeah. Well, I haven't had a single call about marital relationships or boy-girl relationships, men-women. Isn't that interesting? Hi, caller WBT, you're on the air. Well, Dr. James Huey's here. 
Henry, you got one now. Uh oh, here it comes. <laughs> if you see my husband down there, yeah, better not tell him that I'm calling. <laughs> I know who you are, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Huey. First of all, let me tell you, we've been married 54 years. I think we'll make it. But my husband comes in from work. I'll say something like, uh, "Well, how has your day been? You know, we have supper, and how's your day been? Same old thing." I'll say, "Well, what'd you do?" Oh, same old thing. I'll say, well, tell me about it. Tell me something about it. Yeah. Well, can't you see the news is on? <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Yeah, doctor, you're talking about communications, and sometimes <laughs> one of the partners doesn't want to communicate. What happens then? You say you've been married 54 years. Has this been a change, or has this been 54 years of this? No, it's not been 54 years of it. I wouldn't have been in it. It's been a long time? Not not really long, no. But there's so many things that need to be done around the house, and... And he says, I'm nagging, but I'll say, the painting, this painting needs to be done. The bedroom needs to be done. This needs to be done. And since I cannot do the things as I used to do and once did, he'll say, well, I'll get to it. He'll lie down on the couch. He kicks his shoes off. And it just seems like that God's in his heaven and all is right with the world. <laughs> he has not a worry. It seems Well, in reality, he doesn't because he's letting you do all the worrying for him. <laughs> I believe you. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, you know, why should he worry? Because you're doing a first-class job of worrying about the painting and everything else that's going on. But what you're looking for is you wanting someone who really wants to talk with you, oh, somebody yes, who will listen to you. I'm here all day by myself. Yeah. In other words, it's kind of like you're living with someone, but in a sense, you're living alone. Absolutely. And that's a very frustrating position sure, to be in. Sure, Especially after a 54-year marriage. Yeah. The reality is it takes two to communicate. I do uh, my part of it. And even with all of the self-confirmation that you are doing all that you can do, the question is, are you ready to give up? Or two, do you continue to experiment with different possibilities? Man, There's I'm no... not a giver-upper. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm not a giver-upper. Well, see, and that's what I gather, that you're going to keep on trying. My question is, is he ever going to change? Because once again, he knows that you are wanting something he's not ready to give. For whatever good, bad, right or wrong, he's not ready to give that. My question is, will you get it from him? And if not, will you have to find another way of meeting that need? Well, I tell you one thing. He provides for the home. You wouldn't get a better provider. We've done things together. We've gone places together. We've been on trips together and all these things. And these are some of the things that I am missing. I want him to be as he Mm -hmm. uh, has been. And it's just not that way. And it isn't. And that's part of facing the reality that it isn't. What has been does not mean that it will be. Well, anyway, I'm going to hold on to him because I... <laughs> well, see, then that goes back to what I was talking with earlier. You made your choice. You, you... I'm not swapping him in. <laughs> well, you're going to pay the price of him falling on the sofa. You're going to pay the price of nagging him because he has other positive characteristics that you find worth paying for. Yeah. Thank you, dear. Good luck. Hey, Henry. Bye-bye. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Doctor, what about this idea? What if she finds out something he's particularly interested in? Maybe it's fishing. 
maybe it's baseball, maybe it's uh, Life magazine, maybe it's a, a lot of things. And she finds out something he's interested in, and she finds out a way to talk about that with him. In other words, even if she doesn't like the subject, she can say, what do you think about this new uh, fishing lure they've got? Let's say he's interested in fishing. This new fishing lure that turns left when you put it in the water rather than right. Is that a good fishing lure? What do you think? Would that work, or does that not work? That's one of those things she said she's not going to give up. She's going to keep trying. I encourage her to keep on yeah. trying. But I also urge her to recognize that she has a need to talk. He may not have a need to talk. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. part of what reality is, is whatever else he provides in her life worth the price of not being able to have that need met. And that is a problem, isn't it? No matter who the working spouse is, the one who stays at home is not out in the world by definition. In other words, the person, one who's out in the world, in the working world, is meeting people, making decisions, having exciting things happen in their lives, interesting things. And the person at home is hungry for that when the spouse comes home. And, and they do. They may want just peace and quiet. Yeah. Another problem may be the person who stays at home and eats home-cooked food all the time, and the other person go is out, out, is out yeah. all the time. So, A loaded question, then. If you say to yourself, I'm going to marry Betty Jane because I really am in love with her, I don't like the fact that she doesn't like sports like I do. I like the fact that her position on abortion, I don't like this, but I'm going to change her when I marry her. How successful is changing someone? When you- if I had anything less than zero, I would put it, because for the most part, there's a secret hidden agenda that eventually will wind up in some kind of conflict. Now, is that a price you will pay? The chances of changing someone to be, why can't you be more like me, mm-hmm. is almost destined to disappointment. Not going to work. Whether it's a parent trying to straighten out their teenagers, whether it's a husband or wife trying to have this hidden agenda, because most of us, if the world would be more like the way I live my life, I would be a lot happier. (laughs) You know, if everybody moved aside when I came through, if everybody did things the way James Huey did them, I would not have problems. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. How do you feel personally, Dr. Huey, about retreats for uh, husbands and wives or spouses? I'm very much in favor of them because one of the things that I found in therapy is that so often the tendency is to focus on the problem. In a retreat setting, we focus on just learning about each other without focusing on the problem. Explain to them what we're talking about when you say retreat. In essence, you're getting away from the everyday world, aren't you? Yes. As versus a treatment model where you go to an office and you focus on a problem and you try to get some kind of goal setting. A retreat is a way of separating from the commitments of everyday life to go away and to reflect or learn more about ourselves, who we are as individuals. Why is that plus, you think, in most cases, that you do that, that you separate the everyday world and get them into another atmosphere where there are other people around them with similar type problems? Why is it good? It's not really similar type problems as much as it is getting people away who want to learn about themselves. Okay, I said it wrong. I stress that because there's so much of an effort to try and say psychology is problem focused. Psychology has a problem focus, but it also has a prevention learning focus. And that's where I see the strength, being able to bring people together and say... Before the problems arise, I'm getting too big. Right. Like going to the dentist before the cavity, getting a heart specialist to get an EKG before the heart attack, those Mm. kinds of things. Hi, caller. WBT, you're on the air. Hello, Henry. How are you? Fine, thank you. Dr. Huey. Yes. I know someone that seems to always dwell on the negative. Whenever there's idle conversation, it's always negative about people or negative about situations. Uh Uh-huh. What can be done to help that person? 
Well, those are two different questions. The first one is what can be done. The question you have is do you want to set up a goal of trying to change them or do you want to decide on how you're going to handle it? For example, if you're in my conversation and you're negative or perceive things that I'm thinking of as negative, I have a variety of things. I can just smile and go on or I can try to straighten you out or I can try to balance it. I have a variety of ways in which I can choose to handle it. The chances of changing this person are rather remote. People do not basically make changes until they decide they want to change. But you can't, doctor, you can't josh them into saying, oh, Henry, let's talk about something more pleasant. Sure you can. But if the person's need is to be negative, Mm -hmm. they will come back to it just as fast as they can. Caller, is that right? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like when you talk about what happened at work that day, you don't hear about the positive. You only hear about the negative. And the odds are that this person, once again, it's kind of like an attitude. So I'm going to do things that meet my needs, not yours. And this caller should, in turn, do that also, you think? In other words, be as pleasant as he wants to be. If the other person is negative, you can join into a game of ain't it awful. You can sit there and say, yeah, well, not only is it miserable at work, but let me tell you about my home life. And then uh, let me tell you about John down the street. You know, he had this disease, and Sally had this operation. And, you know, there's a war in the Middle East, and they're cutting up people in Yugoslavia, and uh, the economy is the pits. and on and on. If you want to focus on the negative, it's there. If you want to focus on the positive, then you have a choice. And when you're around people, let them make their choice for themselves. You have a decision on whether you want to play along or you want to bring in. Walk away or change the subject or whatever. Right. Does that make sense? It sure does. Caller, thank you. Good luck. Are there people who don't feel comfortable when other people around them are having a good time? Yes. Why is that? Is that just the way they were brought up or there were forces upon them that made them that way or they choose to be that way? What? what? All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. One of the things, if I am sitting here scowling at you, you don't know whether it's coming because I'm thinking or whether it's because I'm irritated with something that's going on or the chair is too high Mm -hmm. or it's too cold or too hot. You don't know. You just see me scowling. You have a choice on how you respond to that. How I perceive what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's go to children a little bit here. Touch on that a little bit. Let's go past adolescence. Let's go to when children start getting physically big. In other words, if you choose to be a spanker or a switcher, after a certain age and a certain size, it's not practical to spank or whip your child. Let's say 12, 13, 14, 15, somewhere along in there, the early teens. What do you do when a child just says, I'm not going to do that, Dad. I'm not going to do that, Mom. You're old-fashioned. You're an old fogey, and I'm ashamed of you. What do you do? Well, the first thing I go back to, what in the world are you trying to teach the child? Do you want to teach him that big people always win? Do you want to teach him that because you are his parents, your word is law? Do you want to help him reason as to why your idea is better? Do you want to put your ego on the line and say, this child is an equal human being, even though we're having a disagreement? What is the point that you want to get across to that child? And that will decide what you do rather than there is one thing when the child does this you do that Mm -hmm. because every child is different 
this is one of the problems I have with so many one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say even in retreating, we work with an individual in saying, okay, what do you want to teach? What do you want to get out of your life? What do you want to get out of this relationship? Because not all people get married for the same reasons. Not all people go to work for the same reasons. Not all people, you know, have children for the same reasons. Discipline their children for the same yeah. reasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. and same thing. Mm-hmm. And what does the word discipline mean to you? Does it mean always being in control? Does it always mean winning? Or do you see it as a teaching opportunity? What does discipline mean to you? Oftentimes people haven't had the chance to really stop and think. What do those words mean to me? Well, now, see, this is unfair. You're making us think. That's not fair. You're playing dirty. I know. I know. <laughs> and not only am I asking you to think, I'm asking you to get in touch with what you feel. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I steal a few seconds of your time and read this wonderful little writing? It's wonderful. What is a friend? I will tell you. It is a person with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with him. He seems to ask of you to put on nothing, only to be what you are. He does not want you to be better or worse. When you're with him, you feel as a prisoner feels who has been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it is genuinely you. He understands those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With him, you breathe freely. You can avoid your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meanness and absurdities, and in opening them up to him, they are lost, dissolved on the white oceans of his loyalty. He understands. You do not have to be careful. You can abuse him, neglect him, tolerate him. Best of all, you can keep still with him. It makes no matter. He likes you. He is like fire that purges to the bone. He understands. You can weep with him, sin with him, laugh with him. Through it all and underneath, he sees, knows, and loves you. A friend? What is a friend? Just one, I repeat, with whom you dare to be yourself. It is nice to have friends like that. It is. One of the things that we have as the cornerstone of friendship is whether it's in therapy or whether it's a retreat at sea, if there's nothing else that I believe I can offer you is an atmosphere where you can dare to be yourself. Mm -hmm. A non-judgmental, non-blaming, non-critical. You can say and talk about anything that's important to you. I do not have the answer to what you should do. I am going to create an atmosphere where you can be cared for as a human being, where you can work out and learn some things about how to listen to yourself and make your own decisions, pay your own prices, those kinds of things. And therein, doctor, comes from your own self, comes the solutions to your problem? Well, one of the most important skills that I believe we teach in personal retreating is the ability to listen to oneself. How do you listen to yourself? Most of listening is focused on learning about listening to other folks. What do I really want? Am I willing to pay the price to get that? That's right. Well, you have really got me in trouble here because I'm about three minutes back behind in commercials because you're too darn interesting. You made us think. I appreciate you coming all the way from Goldsboro. Will you come back again someday when you're in the neighborhood? I appreciate it. I would enjoy that. <laughs> 